Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, The Big Show. It's important and critically acclaimed podcast that is recorded in our car. I had to do a big breath there. <laughs> it's not we're a big the, car, though. We're in the Red Studio today. We're heading south. Not all that far south, but we're heading south. It's a beautiful day. Early March. Welcome to the show. Today we have a mystery episode. Do, 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 do. Actually, it's a, it's a reverse mystery episode. Oh. Where one of us knows what the other what the uh, episode's about, and the other one doesn't. Except for this time, your primary host, because I'm the guy who does all the fiddly bits, is uh, in the dark as to what the subject is. So the subject of our podcast today is whatever it is you were writing this morning that I don't know. What I was starting to write this morning was about how do you know when it's without rule of law? Ah, yes. This this came from Michael, one of our. One of our uh, good listeners, I mean, they're all good listeners, one of our, uh, one of our tribe. Michael's one of our tribe, so. Then fact, we have multiple good Michaels as multiple tribe members, and sometimes it gets confused. Oh, wait, which Michael is this? If they just sign it Michael, it gets a little hard to tell. I have to try and get it by the, um, and the, the thing says. But anyway, go right ahead. He brought up the question of how do you know when it is a without rule of law situation? Because preppers often talk about defending themselves when there is no rule of law and things like that. And prepper fiction is certainly oh yeah, sprouting those situations left, right, and center. But in real life, it's kind of tricky. Because without rule of law can be a very short-term and personal thing. Right. Or it, it can would, be longer and more developed. It, it can be very, very, very localized. Or it could be, and this much more rarely... Could be. Okay. Sorry, we have somebody driving in front of us. Extremely erratic. Uh, I think he's coyote hunting. He's, he's probably coyote his, hunting. Yeah, he's looking, he's for, looking for his, his dogs. Dog. Yeah, that's what he's doing. It's uh, Sunday here, get, so it, it's coyote guy. hunting I'm Sundays. I'm going to put you on hold for just a minute. Not only is it, I know that is a coyote <laughs> In fact, that is his house. So, I mean, this is... Yeah, I, I know him. He's a friend of mine. We were passing him like, oh, hey, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's looking for his dog. Well, we'll do an episode on uh, coyote hunting one of these days. It's a fascinating operation if you've never, never done it. Anyway, let's get back to W-R-O-L. Without rule of law, proper fiction is covered in this stuff. And they almost never have to deal with the situation of rule of law coming back, looking back at what people have done, <laughs> and bringing down consequences <laughs> Throwing them in the on slammer. those who have acted not according to law's rights. So in real-life situations, it's often a much more... There isn't a, this is rule of law, this is not rule of law. It's much more of a continuum. Right. And it's hard to tell exactly where you are on the continuum and how much scrutiny will later be brought to bear on what happens during that time and place. We have not talked. I didn't even know this is what she was talking. We had, we had mentioned, she had brought this up. So, so I'd just been starting to think about it. And because, uh, well, actually, she mentioned, because this came, this actually did come from a, a reader, Michael. And, and it's a, it's a good question. And my first thought, and again, I don't even know where you're going with this, but my first thought on the whole thing is, man, I sure would want to err on the side of conservative here. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't really want to assume that we're living in a without-rule-of-law situation right away. Because it's a very, 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 I don't know how many varies there are, rare situation in the world. It just doesn't happen very often. I mean, the mass chaos thing, it just doesn't happen. It may happen for a very short time, but living in a world without rule of law is not something that humans do. That's one of our deepest social drives is to make community standards and hold people to them. I mean, I cannot think of many situations that don't involve outright insurrections. And then they're still living under the rule of law. They're just ignoring the laws where, you know, you're living without rule of law. I mean, it's just not a common thing. It is. There's only one place that without rule of law is, is incredibly common in the history of the world. And that's in prepping fiction. <laughs> yeah, true enough. Um, I'm an amateur, because I don't get paid for it, but I'm an amateur historian, but I'm pretty, pretty, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Into it. Pretty into it, yeah. In fact, right now I'm studying, you talk about without rule of law. I'm studying one of the periods where there was the single most massive turnover in long-standing governments in the history of the world. And I'm talking about 1918. I've been, you know, on World War I in 1918 in my studies for months and months now. And right now I'm just literally studying through how the German Republic fell apart, how the Kaiser lost power. How the German monarchy fell apart. Yeah, how the, yeah, the entire, and not just the, the quote-unquote German monarch, because you remember Germany is only like 50, 70 years old then. I mean, Germany was not, re it was a construct of like Bavaria and, and all the other uh, German states. Prussia. And Prussia. You know, all these states came together as one and basically ascended one of their, one of their royals. But in each of these states, Bavaria, for example, um, how I'm studying how the monarch of Bavaria lost and the people just took over in Munich. I was taught, you know, it's just, you would think this is a without rule of law situation, right? The army's all off onto the, in the front, in the still dying in the front lines. And there's communists, literally communists, uh, socialists, more than Bolsheviks. There were some, but more than that was, there was a big socialist workers' movement in Germany and throughout Northern Europe at the time. And they were in the process of taking over a lot of the cities. There was a mutiny, a major, huge mutiny in the German Navy. And there were mobs in the streets. And you're like, well, that's without rule of law, right? Except there were well, everybody was policing within their own groups to some extent. Exactly. Their, their own groups that were vying for power, each one of them was their own law. And it was just a, a struggle to see which group was able to gain power. There was never a sense of just no law. You were just under the control of the, the socialists. 
or you were under control of the military or you were under control of the uh, social democrats, which are a little different than socialists, or you were under the control. You were under a control group and the police were basically siding with one group or the other. And that's much more common than what you see. Now, you do see individual, throughout history, you do see individual cities fall apart. That does happen, but not for a long time. There are exceptions. Lebanon, where there's many, many, many forces making it into a battleground. Sarajevo is an exception. But that wasn't, that was just, it was in the middle of a battleground. It wasn't really that the city was without rule of law so much as nobody had taken control of it. So I came up with a thesis that covers pretty much every situation I could think of, including these. And that premise was to proceed as, in a way that would seem necessary and justifiable to any reasonable scrutinizing body because you don't know that the group who takes over is going to be reasonable but that's your best shot overall and it also ends up being the most civilized and in my opinion appropriate way to behave is to act as if you know your actions are going to be scrutinized by a reasonable individual to see if they were necessary and justified that's what i came up that's actually pretty good yeah, that's pretty smart. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> who knew? My goodness, who knew? It must be the fifth Tuesday of the month. Well, stopped, stopped watches and stopped clocks are right <laughs> twice a day. Yeah, I'm not sure I hit that often, but, you know. Well. Uh, that's what I came up with at any rate. That's actually pretty good. Because, you know, if you think about it, well, what if I defend myself? Yeah, well, most most situations, you are allowed to defend yourself. You're allowed to defend your family in most situations. I mean, there are exceptions, I'm sure, but even in a place that has like serious uh, gun laws, serious uh, restrictions on what you can do, you can still defend yourself. So, you know, I think that would be a, a kind of a thing. You know, where you get into the into the gray areas is where does your defense stop? Um, I know we've had a one of our uh, uh, regular readers has been talking about uh, roadblocks and how, you know, we mention roadblocks, that roadblocks will happen and stuff like that. And he is very, very concerned that that uh, I'm and we are sounding like, hey, we think roadblocks are a good idea. And so we're going to do something on that, uh, actually work with him, because that's not what I'm saying. I, and if I'm coming off as saying that, that's not what I mean. I don't think people should go out and do roadblocks if they're in a uh, situation where uh, law enforcement is not readily around, okay? Because it is a, you know, manning a roadblock is a very, very, very good way to die. It's a good way to get yourself killed. Okay. And it's a big investment of manpower, and it, by it, which I mean human power, by the way. And it also is putting you in a position where you have basically declared your own law. You know what I'm saying? You are saying that this, this other law does not apply to us because, I mean, we're no longer under the old regime's laws because you, know, you can't set out roadblocks on highways without law enforcement doing it. Okay. 
it's, it's illegal, and it well, it should be. That's that's highway. That's what <laughs> that's highway highwaymen. You know, that's what they did. So, take a pause because I gotta take a picture of this in here. The sun is almost right. Sorry, we're on a photographic trip. That's what we're doing. So, I had to t- stop and take my picture out here shooting. We're testing a couple of cameras for another project that I do. Another project that has nothing to do prepping. So, anyway, long story short, roadblocks are not something we advise people to do. Having said that, we've actually been caught up in a couple of them in disaster areas. So, you know, they yeah. do happen. We were heading in to do some sandbagging at a flood site and got stopped and asked what our business was going into the area. Well, she she was doing she was doing I was sandbagging. I was actually bringing in my big old uh, pickup truck to help some friends of mine move their stuff out of the floodplain so that they lose it if their house flooded. And we were stopped by citizens, no uh, no law enforcement in sight, who stopped us and you know, asked us our business. Once I told them, hey, I'm going to so-and-so's house, he called me and asked me to help him, it was fine. You know, in another instance, we were, we were uh, basically drove through the backside of a... Uh, Citizen roadblock. Okay, another picture. Sorry, okay. Yes. Anyway, moving off that. The thing is, if somebody were to complain, this is obviously not really a without rule of law situation. This was just people trying to stop looters from coming in. Everyday people. These are not uh, sheriff's deputies or not people who have been deputized. They were just people trying to stop some guys who thought it was a good idea. Some guys who thought it was a good idea. And in the situation where we were in, it wasn't quite as dangerous as it would be do that if you were doing it like during a EMP type scenario or doing that were during a long term. When people were actually desperate. When people are actually desperate. Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of those roadblocks in, in prepper fiction as well. And they end a lot better than probably it would happen in real life. Now, there's ways you could do it, but that's not what we're here to talk about because we don't think doing roadblocks is a very good idea. In fact, it's a bad idea, and we're not big fans of it. But we also both think that they would happen. Think about how many times people will talk about just running down people who are trying to impede traffic, even if the reason for impeding traffic is, oh, the reason for the traffic is, I just wanted to go to the five and dime. They'll still talk about running down people who are impeding their way. So if their needs were a little more pressing, the risk factor would go up beyond there. A perfect example of, of people who have road rage and in ways to, to battle it, and this is this does relate, because we're in rule of law right now, okay? And even with rule of law, some of this stuff is a problem. I have several friends who are cyclists, who are cross-country cyclists, who spend their summers on bicycles, and three of them that I know of cycle with a big, huge American flag flying behind their bicycle. Or actually, it's a normal-sized American flag, but you know, and that creates a lot of drag, and it makes extra work. And I was like, "Why are you doing that? And why do you do that?" It's, a, it's absolutely for personal protection. People won't run you off the road if you're flying an American flag. 
they'll run the cyclist off the road. Have no problem with yeah, you'd run destroying the road. human being, but you know can't they run the American flag off. They the won't road. run the American flag off. He said, "I stopped. You know, I was getting put in the ditch four or five times a year until I put that flag back there. Now I haven't been in the ditch since." And he says, "Part of it, I'm sure, is it makes me more visible, but part of it is, you know, a lot of guys, I'll, you know, I'll just say, oh, I'll go over there and." No, I don't actually need to show with the car, do I? <laughs> so I uh, yeah, please swerving don't. with the car to show Spice how to run a cyclist off the road. Spice does not wish to run cyclists off the road. Spice is usually the cyclist. Yeah, so, anywho, what else you got? First thing I came up with along the line of what... Con- the next question that brings up, of course, is what would constitute necessary and, and justifiable to a reasonable... Of oversight, and the first thing I came up with is defensive things are always much more acceptable as a group than offensive actions. And one place where I see that applying is that a related question that comes up is what constitutes scavenging versus looting. And I would say if there is any lick of doubt about the situation, it's looting. Absolutely. Only if it's completely clear that whoever owns this stuff is not going to be able to get back to it for a very long time or ever would it be considered scavenging. In any other circumstance, it would be looting. So that picking up stuff that you know is not yours is a much more offensive action than stopping other people from picking up stuff you do know is yours. So you have to be a heck of a lot more conservative about doing anything with a vaguely offensive air than about doing things that are clearly defensive in nature, in my opinion. That was the first element. Another element is the line of defense of making yourself unworthy of looter attention or aggressive attention is pretty much always unobjectionable. So that is a defense that's pretty much always safe. Being the gray man. Making your place look like it's got nothing useful. Uh, Salty brought up something that he's also going to hit on in another post later, I believe, related to how likely your automobile is to get broken into if you Uh, have a a gun-related bumper sticker. If you have a pro-gun related bumper sticker yeah you want you want to the best way for somebody to steal your gun out of your car is to put a bumper sticker on it that says i am a pro i'm a member of the nra or pro-gun or second amendments or come and take it from my cold dead hands no they'll just come and take it from your car yeah and if you don't leave it in your car you're still getting your car broke into that may make you less likely to have people attack you when they you have a warm body there with the vehicle but when the vehicle looks unattended well, then it just looks like some place you can pick up a weapon. Yeah, and even if they don't, again, even if they don't find a weapon, they might well find some of your other stuff. Or they've just trashed your nice, formerly rainproof vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> and now you've got another window or whatever. So, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in our, our vehicles have nothing on them except for Necessary parking necessary stickers. Necessary parking stickers, and uh, we don't even have our uh, helicopter flight for life stickers on our car. We should, probably. I've got them. I should put, uh, even though it really doesn't matter. We, you know, yeah, they, that says nothing about the value of breaking into the vehicle. It, it just says something about that you live in a rural area, probably. It's about yeah. all that would communicate. Okay. Uh, so, 
being not attracting notice is the safest approach. After that, I think it is entirely reasonable to expect layers of warning. Where, okay, in the prepper fiction, maybe that you're shooting down anybody who comes down your lane. But that would not be considered reasonable behavior by a lot of of individuals. Like, pretty much anybody... Clear my way. ...that has, like, soul (laughs) would (laughs) know that this is a... So if you've got a long driveway, first, leave the end overgrown and and make it look uninteresting. But once people get past that, they should see clear warnings that this place is occupied and you're not welcome. And uh, if you persist in pushing on, we might potentially shoot you. Now, I would... Layers of warning like that, I think, are appropriate. Are we going to pause here as well? We're going to pause swamp. Okay, sorry, we were in the swamp. The swamp is a... Every time we go past there, we have to stop because it's always full of really interesting stuff. This time it was just logs and ice. But uh, So there we are. When you still see the ice, you don't get the frogs. Nope, no or the frogs, turtles. No frogs in the ice. So after the levels of uh, warning, I, I am... Let me put it this way. If somebody makes me feel threatened enough that I actually feel I have to point a gun in their direction, that individual should not expect a warning shot. No, because it's not going to come. <laughs> this is not Hollywood. Yeah. And I'm not going to aim for a wing him or anything like that. No. If I feel that threatened that I have to actually point the weapon at a human being, I'm shooting to kill that human being. And I sincerely and deeply hope and expect that never happens. But if it does happen, that's that's where I am. Now, a caveat is never, ever, ever do warning shots. Ever. Ever. Ever, 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 ever do a warning shot. How often? Never. Oh, okay. Because if you are living in an area with rule of law, you have just really, really made yourself a serious legal problem. And if you're living in an area without rule of law and somebody's attacking you, you really need to kill them. <laughs> or if that's what you're having to do, if they're attacking you. So why don't you explain why a warning shot is considered more legally objectionable than... Why don't we do an article on that separately? Because that's way off the topic. Okay. And uh, it's and there's several different it's situations. too deep to yeah. go into as a sidebar. Yeah, it's just All right. way... You know, we'll spend the next 25 minutes on that one. Yeah, just kind of not. We'll do an. I'll do. A, I'll do an article on why I never shoot. Do a warning shot. But uh, this is not just a salty thing. Everybody will tell you this. This is a, a standard, part of if you're if you're pointing a gun at somebody, you need to be fully willing to pull the trigger. Otherwise, you should not be pointing a gun at that person. And that's that simple. And anyway, so pressing right along. The part of this we really haven't got, gotten that I think Michael was really hitting on, how can you tell? I don't think you can. I don't think you can reliably tell when you don't have rule of law. You can tell when you don't have rule of law right now, but I don't think you can really reliably tell how much scrutiny might be brought to bear afterward. And you can't really trust anybody. You just can't trust. Can you trust the media? 
<laughs> that was a joke, by the way. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was blinking going, first, no, and second, in the kinds of situations where you're suspicious, suspecting there might not be rule of law, you probably don't have good access to the media in the first place. And even if you do, they're living in the quote-unquote fog of war. So even if they were trustworthy, which they're not, uh, being a member of the media, I can tell you they're not. Our local media, I would trust to be doing their very best for our community. Within the guidelines of what they're allowed to say. Yeah. And they won't be psychic, and they will be somewhat restrained by official restraints. And that's just the way it's going to be. You you cannot tell the truth in the media. You cannot tell the truth. It's part of the deal. And people don't understand. You cannot do it if you are a member of the media. Because there are legal ramifications that cause... I mean, it's just you can't do it. One, uh, if you do it once you would be expected to go to jail. And two, if the people you're talking to expect that you will do that, uh, be upfront in reporting things that they don't think you're supposed to be reporting, you're not going to learn anything. And it's detrimental to your overall understanding of the situation in many cases. Uh, even, you know, and I'm talking I'm talk about in t- today's right now, you can't tell the truth. Because as a reporter, you know what's going on. You saw it. You're there. You see it. You talk to the people. You know what's going on. But then it's all allegedly. They allegedly do this. And the person is innocent until proven guilty. And the person has, you know, they may have done something that could be considered something as this crime, but I am not a lawyer and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And if you say the wrong thing, you're going to get sued. And why did Salty get out of journalism? And Hmm. why did Salty get out of (laughs) full-time journalism? I got out of t- full-time journalism because I was tired of lying to people. And that's just straight up. It wasn't that I was being dishonest per se. It was the fact that I could not tell the truth. You know? So now I cover ball games Because I can tell you. Life in the toy department. Right. I can tell you that Monroe City beat Hannibal 44 to 42. That's the truth. Okay. And that the Hannibal girls beat Monroe City 38-32 in basketball. If, if I'm just pulling these for not too, either one of these towns right now. You know, that I can tell you, okay? But if somebody gets arrested for a, let's just say, uh, p- possession with intent to distribute, you know, the actual charges are complete BS, and you don't know. You just don't know the whole story by listening to what the media tells you. You don't know. The guy could be a scumbag who has been doing this for you know years and years and years. Or he might be holding some stuff for a friend of his. You don't know. Anyway, that's that's what I mean. But you can't tell the truth. You don't even know the truth. And if you're in a situation that some people might consider without rule of law, you've got a whole bunch of new caveats thrown on top of it. I'm certain that when people heard the topic of this, some people were hoping for some nice clear-cut rules to tell them what would be acceptable behavior. But I, maybe it's from my scientist background, I have a deeper acceptance of 
our own uncertainties and what we know and what we think we know, there's a lot of times you have good reason to think you know something and it ends up being incorrect. I've come to terms with that and learned to deal with it as as, as uh, part of the way life is. So I don't think that in an emergency situation, I'm really going to know what's going on. Certainly not at the time, maybe not ever. You're going to be going on incomplete information and some untrue information, best guesses. There's going to be a whole lot of confusion and uncertainty, and I think you're kidding yourself. No, wait now. It's just four-way stop here. Okay. I was only looking for traffic my way because that's my job. I don't think you're going to know to a large extent in many circumstances. So I think you just got to have some rules for behaving like a reasonable individual and do your best and hope that works. Because life's uncertain sometimes. And here's the thing. With or without rule of law, this is my takeaway. I don't have much more to add to that. With or without rule of law, we know what's right and we know what's wrong. We know what's moral. Stick with the moral. You can't go too far wrong sticking with and what you know is right. You just can't go too far wrong. I have a rule of doing the minimum amount of harm to other human beings that I think is necessary for protection of of whoever it is I'm supposed to be protecting, certainly myself, sometimes others. So I've got a minimum harm rule, but that's me. It's what I see is right. But All right. I you guys will make your own here. decisions. All right. Thank you for listening, and if you have any comments, please let us know.